Hello there. You are listening to the MCC Sunday Sermon. We are so glad you could join us. We pray that this message will encourage you, build your faith on your journey with God. Enjoy. If we haven't had the chance to meet before, my name's Daniel. I'm married to Elise, who was just here just a moment ago. And um, if this is your first time at MCC, we honestly are so thrilled that you're here. And trust you're really going to enjoy this morning's uh, one-hour communion service. Um, just before I get into the message part of today, I get to speak for as long as the kids are able to hold their attention with the colouring in. So it will be an hour or less. Um, but uh, before we get into the message today, I want to just take just one moment just to, um, just to celebrate a couple of things. And uh, one of those is in, in worship today, um, just sitting behind me is Anton, who's getting baptised on Sunday. And... Uh, And I couldn't but, in, in worship, just sort of reminded about today and the significance of today, but also looking forward to on Sunday when Anton and Zach and maybe a couple of others are getting baptised. And uh, I want to encourage you, if you're part of our church family, to be here on Sunday and celebrate with them. Uh, that's a really significant thing. It was only a number of weeks ago, actually just at the start of this year, that Anton made a decision to put his faith and trust in Jesus. And so of all the days to get... And, uh, and so that's something worth celebrating. With those who are being baptized, I want to encourage you to be a part of that, especially if you're a part of our church family. That's a really special thing. And, uh, and then as you walked in today, right, you would have seen all the bunting up everywhere. Did you feel like it was Easter when you saw the bunting? It felt more like Easter, didn't it? There's like there's chocolates and there's, and there's the cross and then there's bunting. Not in that order, guys. Not in that order. All right? Not in that order. Um, but I do want to take just a moment, that actually, actually I, the idea for doing that and putting all that bunting up was actually as a result of David Gration, uh, who's a great part of our church and who's helped coordinate some of the stuff for, uh, for different events that we've held over the last six months. And as soon as Easter finishes, the next thing we're talking about is Christmas. Um, that's right. David and I are talking about that. You guys don't have to worry. David and I will talk about that. But I did think when I walked in, um, having been away last week and as things were being put up, and saw the bunting, I saw the vision and the idea that David had just to be able to put something throughout the building that just reminded people who've been coming in all week, right? And uh, about the season that we're celebrating right now. And so thank you so much, David, for that good idea. And yes, put your hands together for David. But, but then also to the ladies who are part of the Craft Connect group who have been literally hand-making all those things. And so to the crocheting group, so Adrian leads and, and, so, uh, and so they've been crocheting and cutting things out and sewing them all together and having a good time doing it. And uh, I'm pretty sure there's no material left in Spotlight, but, but they've done an excellent job. And then, uh, and then for Esther and Adrian and, uh, and then also for Mick and her team who are still preparing communion because we prepared for 200, but we might need a couple more. Um, but then put together all of this this morning as well. I just want to say thank you to them who did that. So just thank you to that team who did that. It's good. Let's take a moment to pray, and then we're going to jump into the message this morning. Lord, we thank you this morning. God, for you sending your son. Jesus, we thank you that because of what you did, that we're able to come and to worship and be in right relationship. Holy Spirit, we ask today, that God, our hearts would be open, that Lord, our ears would be open. Lord, to hear you speak and to hear the truth that we're celebrating today. 
God, we might leave this place encouraged and inspired. In Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 If you have a Bible with you today, would you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12? Hebrews chapter 12. And we're going to begin right at the very beginning of Hebrews chapter 12. This is what the Bible says. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. It's going to be on the screen behind me, so you can fact check this later. But Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, this is what the Bible says. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's what we're doing this morning. The truth is that should be the custom of each of our days, but, but especially at Easter. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, what the writer of Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter 11 is actually the great hall of faith. But where the writer of Hebrews goes through great men and women of faith throughout the Bible, and then having considered that, and, and these people that did these great things for God and, and lived righteous lives, even in the midst of difficulty and turmoil, the writer of Hebrews says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that connecting the fact that, that you and I aren't the first generation of people to worship God. No, there's a long history of people who have worshipped God, who created the entire universe. God, who loved us enough that He sent His only Son. There's been a long list of people who have faithfully served and loved God. And so the writer of Hebrews says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, placing us in the story, that, that even for us, right, as a New Testament church, that, that there were people who have built churches and, and led people to Christ and baptized and for centuries before us. And, and, and also long after us. It's a great reminder to us that, that actually we are the custodians of a church for a very short period of time. Yeah. And that we ought to live our lives in such a way that the church of Jesus is stronger a hundred years from now. Long after any of us are remembered. Long after anyone remembers, even who was sort of here at the start of this whole church thing being started. That, that actually we ought to live our lives in such a way that the church of Jesus is stronger a hundred years from now that we ought to live in that kind of way. So the writer of Hebrews says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's not get distracted. Let's throw off every weight that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. That's the kind of life that I want to live. And then he gives us the key to being able to do that. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. And that's a lot easier to say than it is to do sometimes. Because we live in a world that's trying to vie for our attention. That there are circumstances at play in our lives on a daily basis that, that want to try and demand our focus and our devotion. That there can be things going on, even in our own families, even right now, that, that want to be able to take the prideful place of worship in our lives by having our full attention and devotion. But, but I've learned through my own journey of faith that, that the answer isn't out there somewhere. And certainly the answer isn't in here. If you look in here, all you end up finding is brokenness. Yeah. Truth is, the answer is actually lifting your eyes and beginning to focus your heart and your attention and your devotion right. 
and your worship, fixing your eyes, the writer of Hebrews says, on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The part to me in that verse that's the most curious is for the joy set before him. What was Jesus' joy in going to the cross? Really, that's my question for us on this Good Friday as we come to celebrate communion. What was the joy for Jesus in going to the cross? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. My question to us this morning is, what was Jesus' joy? Because certainly nothing about crucifixion was joyous. Some of you will be more well-versed than, than even me in terms of what crucifixion meant for Jesus and for those who'd been crucified in the first century. The Romans had perfected crucifixion over some time. They'd inherited some ideas from, from other groups and then decided to perfect it themselves. And, and the Romans became quite good at being able to torture and torment people. And chief amongst their torture tactics was to be able to use crucifixion. The crucifixion that Jesus went through, there was nothing joyous about that occasion. That, that, that Jesus was arrested in the early hours of Good Friday. And, and having been arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, then he's taken before trumped-up courts and then is about to endure not just the abandonment of his friends and, and not just the false accusations of, of those that seek his death, but, but then actually the torment of crucifixion itself. That, that, that Jesus is punched and, and beaten. That Jesus has, has cloths and stuff thrown over his head and as guards punch him and say to him, if you can prophesy, tell us which one hit you. They're not only mocking him, but Jesus is going through the anguish of actually what all of this is going to mean. That Jesus is punched and beaten, that he has chunks of his beard ripped out, that, that then he goes before um, the, the whipping post to be, to be whipped. And I want to go too graphic with this, right? Because we have little kids in the room, but even for that, most people who went to that as a form of punishment didn't survive actually leaving the whipping post. The one of the things the Romans would do in, in, in terms of how they whipped people is what they used. Long strands of leather with bits of bone and, and stuff stuck into it so that as the whip came around, it wasn't just the lashing of the whip, it was the hooks of those things going into flesh and then pulling back. That when they would torture people, most historians believe the way that they actually did it is that they tied people, not down low, but actually up high, so that the skin across their back was under tension. And the same way if you were to take a piece of paper and hold it under tension and then flick it, you could break the paper. In the same way, those that were being whipped would be under tension so that as the whip broke, it, it would not only whip their flesh, but it would tear whole chunks off. The Bible says that by the time Jesus actually gets to the cross... Not that he's unrecognizable as Jesus. The Bible says that he was unrecognizable as a man. So what was Jesus' joy when he went to the cross? There was nothing joyous about crucifixion. There was nothing joyous about what actually happened when the Romans got hold of him and he was sentenced to death. When Jesus goes to the cross, right? He's nailed to the cross. And in doing so, that most historians say that actually probably he wasn't nailed through his hands because under the weight of pulling, you would just rip those nails straight through the webbing of your hands. Most likely, Jesus is nailed through the wrists because in your arm, you have two bones that connect at your wrist. And so there'd be a locking place to be able to hold yourself there. 
For those that died on the cross, they, they didn't die actually of blood loss. What they actually died of was asphyxiation. Because having been nailed to the cross, they'd have to pull themselves up. And I know this is, this is graphic, even for us to imagine what this is like, but, but in literally trying to pull yourself up to breathe, you're dislocating your own hands to be able to do that. I could go further, but I think I've painted enough of a picture, right? So what was Jesus' joy when he goes to the cross? There's nothing joyous about crucifixion. There's nothing joyous about what happened to Jesus on those early hours of Good Friday morning or on the six hours that Jesus remains on the cross. There's nothing joyous about that. And there's nothing sadistic about Jesus. You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays, Father, if there is another way, then let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. That, that, that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is sweating drops of blood. He knows precisely what this is about to entail. And so he lets that prayer fall from his lips. Father, if there's a different way, can we try that first? And yet submitting his will, saying, yet not my will, but your will be done. There's nothing joyous about crucifixion. There was nothing sadistic about Jesus. Jesus knew precisely what this was going to mean. And not just in terms of physical, physically what it would mean, but, but also in terms of bearing the weight of sin for all humanity. Up until that point and beyond, that Jesus would bear the weight of sin. What was Jesus' joy? The answer to that is actually pretty simple. Jesus' joy was looking through the corridors of time from that moment to ones like this one. Jesus' joy was actually looking through the corridors of time and seeing you and I and saying, if this is the only way, then it's worth it. Jesus' joy in going to the cross was you. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, it says this, but God demonstrates... Not past tense, present and continuing tense. In other words, this, doesn't just, this isn't just demonstrated once. This is demonstrated once and for all time. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. That, that, that even before any one of us had uttered Jesus as Lord, before any one of us had received him as our Savior, Jesus' joy in going to the cross was providing an opportunity for us to be able to do just that. And for that, Jesus counted it all worth it. What was Jesus' joy? It was you and me. That he was making a way available for us to be made right with God. In John chapter 14, and this is going to be on the screens, in John chapter 14, this is what the, the scripture says. John 14, here we go, John 14 and verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled, Jesus says, you believe in God, believe also in me, for my father's house has many rooms, if that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. This is the part I want you to see. 
So Thomas pipes up in verse 5 and he says this, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Notice what Jesus says. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Notice Jesus said, I am the way, not simply that I came to show you the way. We're remembering what Jesus did at Good Friday, but also with a perspective knowing that while hell was celebrating the death of the Saviour, heaven was simply counting to three. Right? Because three days later, Jesus rises from the dead, proving that all that he'd accomplished at the cross was actually fulfilled. The resurrection becomes proof positive that, that Jesus could have joy because death had no hold on him and it would lose its sting for us as well. Right? Jesus' joy in going to the cross is you and I because in doing so, Jesus wasn't simply showing us the way to God. Jesus was becoming our way to be made right with God. We're going to take communion in just a minute and I want to ask if, if our worship team can come back because they're going to help to lead us in part of this. But to help illustrate this idea for us, maybe just before we come to communion, I want to share with you just a story. There was a little boy, and for the sake of the story, we're going to call this boy Johnny. All the stories I tell have a, a boy called Johnny, and that was true even before we had a son called Johnny. This story isn't about Johnny, but it's about a boy called Johnny. There's this little boy called Johnny, and um, when he was about 10 years old, his family moved from a place where he'd grown up and, and had known the streets and the people and that little town quite well. But he had moved with his family to a new city that was much larger than the one he'd spent most of his childhood in. He got to know some of the kids that were in his area, and in the afternoons after school, he would go and play with them in the fields. So Johnny was a pretty outgoing kind of kid, and so he would go and play with the other kids, and after a few weeks of doing this, it got to one afternoon, and he was playing with his friends, and it got to that point where when you're playing with your friends as a little kid, where they said, all right, well, one more goal wins. Do you know that part where you're playing when you're a little kid and you're like, all right, all right, from this point on, the rest of it doesn't count. Last goal wins. Do you remember saying that? Some of you, that was a long, long time ago. Right? Last, last goal wins. But the problem was that the kids were so competitive that, that last goal wins kept on going again and again and again and again until eventually Johnny looked around and he realized he'd been so distracted by playing the game with his friends that, that it was now getting late and it was getting dark and he didn't know how to find his way his way home. He knew mum's rule that when the streetlights came on, he had to be home. And he could just start to see the streetlights beginning to flicker and he realised he needed to hightail out of here and get home, otherwise he was going to be in a lot of trouble. And so he says goodbye to his friends and he starts to make his way home. The problem is the field where they're playing was some distance from the house that his family had moved into only a few weeks earlier. And so he begins to set off on his, on his path towards home. He jumps to the back fence of the field and, and runs along that street and gets to the end of that street and turns right and then begins to go a bit further down. He remembers it's the second left and so he starts taking the second left and he goes a bit further down and, and, and he starts to panic because he realizes that, that it's actually starting to get dark really quickly. It's now getting darker and colder and, and he knows his mum's going to be freaking out because the rule is he's supposed to be home before the street lights come on and now, well, the street lights have been on for the last little bit. And so in a panic, he begins to run 
trying to make his way home quickly. The problem is, is that while he's running, he becomes more and more disorientated because whilst he's made his way home a number of times, he's never done it in the dark. And at nighttime, everything looks more different than it does during the day. And so he's sort of running past houses that sort of vaguely seem familiar, but they're looking less and less familiar the more he sort of runs. Eventually, he comes to the realization that he's lost, that he actually doesn't know how to find his way home. And just at that point, realizing that it's dark and that it's cold and that his mum's going to be freaking out, Johnny kneels down in the gutter and he begins to cry because he actually doesn't know how to make his way home. He desperately wants to be able to go home. He just doesn't know how to get there. Well, just at that moment that he kneels down in the gutter and he begins to cry, a gentleman sees him there and goes up to him and says, excuse me, young man, are you okay? Well, Johnny begins to explain, I was playing with my friends and I'm new to this area and and it got late and dark, I'm supposed to be home by the time the streetlights come on, and, and, and so I started making my way home, but, but at night time everything looks different, and now it's cold and it's dark, and my mum's going to be freaking out, and, and I'm lost. I don't even know how to be able to make my way home. I'm trying to get home, but I don't know how to do it. And the man says, all right, well, we'll just, just calm down for a minute. Do you know where you live? But, well, Johnny explains, well, well we moved into the, the red-roofed house at the end of Reynolds Street. The man says, well, I, I know that house. Here, look, I'll tell you how to get there. And so he explains to this little boy, all of 10 years old, he says, well, what you need to do is, is go to the end of this street. At the end of the street, you need to turn right. Go down that street, your third left. Take the third left. Right, then the third left. You'll go across a bridge. When you get to the end of the bridge, remember to turn left again. If you go to the end of that street, you'll go through a park and you'll find your way home to the red-roofed house at the end of Reynolds Street. Well, Johnny picks himself up and thinks to himself, well, I can do that. Says thank you to the man and then begins to set out on his journey. He goes to the end of the street and he turns right. He remembers that's what the man said and walks along and he counts it out. One, two, three, turn left. He goes across the bridge. The man said there'd be a bridge and he can see the bridge and so he crosses the bridge and when he gets to the end of the bridge, he can't remember, am I supposed to turn right now or left? Some of you remember, but you weren't Johnny in this story, Okay. He can't remember which way he's supposed to turn. The problem is now he's, he's never gone this way home before. And now he's more lost than he was before. And so beginning to realize that now it's later and it's darker and it's colder. His mom is probably sending out a search party and he's got no idea how to make his way home. He, he begins to kneel down in the gutter again and he begins to cry and sob because he realizes he's lost and he's got no way of finding his way home. He's more lost now than he's ever been. Well, just at that moment, a police officer sees Johnny sitting there and says to him, are you okay, mate? Johnny kind of picks himself up, and you know the story already, right? He begins to explain, well, you know, I was playing with my friends, and, and then it got late, and I tried to make my home, and this guy tried to tell me how to do it, and he said, go left or go right, I can't remember which way it was, it was at the end of a bridge, it was left, it was right, and, and the man stops him and says, do you know where you live? And Johnny explains, I live at the red-roofed house at the end of Reynolds Street. The police officer, seeing that this young boy is cold and shivering and quite upset, takes his coat off and puts it on the boy. Immediately, he feels the warmth of that coat, which is reassuring because for the last hour, he spent freaking out. And taking him by the hand, the police officer walks him the rest of the way home. In that story, there are two people who try to help Johnny. One person told Johnny the way home. The other person became Johnny's way home. 
And when Jesus says, I am the way, Jesus isn't saying, I came to explain to you the way. I came to teach you the way. I came to example the way. What Jesus actually says is, I, I am the way. And what we're celebrating at Easter, what we're celebrating this Good Friday, what we're celebrating as we take communion together is literally that. That Jesus didn't come simply to tell us some truths or even to example a way to be able to live. There were some that would relegate Jesus to those things. That Jesus is like a guru amongst a whole lot of others. But, but as Christians, we understand Jesus didn't come to tell us the way or show us the way or example the way. Jesus actually became our way. And so in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. That's what we're celebrating this morning. We're celebrating the fact that Jesus, because he went to the cross and paid a price that we could not pay and stood in our place, that, that he made a way available for us to be made right with God. That all we would need to do is call upon his name and receive the grace and forgiveness that we didn't deserve and we didn't earn. Not because of our merits or our goodness, but because of God's merit and God's goodness. That's what we're celebrating. Thank you once again for joining us. Feel free to contact us on our Facebook, our website, and jump on our Instagram at mcc.church. Also, make sure to rate and review as well as share. Finally, from all the team at MCC, have a blessed day and until next time, bless you.